foundation is built on solid rock. Yeshua. Yeshua. The rock of our salvation on Solace Radio. It's sort of strange, isn't it? It's kind of strange to think of all that Kepha could have written about what to do during the end times or the attributes that should characterize us at the end. Sometimes I wonder if Kepha realized that when the end comes and the stress of the end times begin, that we would become kind of like turtles or snails that want to retreat into our shells and avoid the harm and the danger that is coming. And I think that's a possibility. But just to think of it more positively, I would consider this. I would consider the idea that God himself is hospitable and that that is one of his attributes, that the Lord God himself invites us to come into his presence And he doesn't do so complaining. Oh, here comes Marty again. (laughs) I guess I did send an invitation out, but man. (laughs) I hope he doesn't stay a long time today. (laughs) No, the Lord actually invites us, and then he delights in our coming. He delights in it. In fact, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Holy One of Israel, not only invites us and delights in our coming, but he prepares a table for us, and he loves to sit with us. It's very joyous. And so he proactively seeks after us to get us to come. Just when you think about that, it's awesome. And so when I think about that, I think, okay, during the end times when the people are sensing danger coming and great stress is upon the world and darkness, and some of us may have a tendency to retreat, or become isolated, the Lord says no, because the light of God must shine in the darkness. So some people come to Brook Hashem and they say, wow, people love each other here. That's because they came on the week that I taught about love. <laughs> I, it, it just seems like everybody's so friendly. That's because it's just after I taught about hospitality. Actually, that should characterize us all the time, but especially in the end of days when The end of all things is at hand. So today I want to talk about end time hospitality. And in my mind, excuse me for this vernacular, but it simply means a big fat welcome without grumbling. (laughs) Now, that is an end time attribute. Again, we're looking at 1 Peter, 1 Kepha, chapter 4, verse 9. As I've been sort of sharing with you some news recently, I'm just going to continue to do that during this series. It's not hard to find end-time news. It's just difficult to pare it down and to know what to share because there's so much of it. So these are just basically headlines and just little captions of the news. Robert Gates, Secretary of Defense for the U.S., said, Iran could attack Europe with scores or hundreds of missiles. said that this week. And I believe that Iran happens to be trigger-happy. Not the people but the current government, Ahmadinejad in particular. Turkey and Israel in overt, covert fight to the finish, is the headline. Ankara is leading a Muslim campaign for a worldwide boycott to strangle Israel. Why is this so significant? Because a few months ago, Israel and Turkey had a, had a great friendly relationship. And this has all of a sudden changed. And now Turkey is aligning itself with Iran and with Russia, 
and with other places that are designated in Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39. And Turkey is mentioned in those chapters. So it's very interesting that this is happening now. Iranian threats over Gaza keep USS Truman carrier in the Mediterranean Sea. The USS Truman was in a different place and it moved over to the Mediterranean. And now these threats are keeping it there. Something is brewing. Everybody knows it and everyone's on the alert. Shin Bet, which is the secret service of Israel, Shin Bet chief warns against lifting Gaza siege. Hamas has over 5,000 missiles. Where did they get those from? I thought they were completely isolated. I thought Israel was blockading. I thought <laughs> they have, they have dozens and dozens of secret tunnels where they smuggle everything in. And, and other countries, uh, sp- especially sponsored by Iran and Syria, are smuggling in rockets and missiles and guns and ammunition because they're getting ready to do something. Weakens Israel. Israel's navy braces for the next flotillas from the Jerusalem Post. Several new flotillas from Iran and Lebanon, also from Turkey, are heading towards Gaza. This is happening right now as we speak. Now this is interesting, this little shift of thinking. Both Egypt and the PA, the Palestinian Authority, urge Prime Minister Netanyahu to maintain the naval blockade against Gaza. Why? Because everybody's afraid of the powder keg that is represented by Gaza becoming overly armed and taking the center stage in the world. It's not only Israel who will be harmed when Iran comes to power through Gaza, through the Hezbollah, or through Syria, but all the other surrounding Arab nations. Wait till you see this. Saudis clear Israel to bomb Iran. Riyadh opens airspace for run on nuke facilities, paper says, MSNBC. Now, of course, they don't openly state this. In fact, you know, the princes of Saudi Arabia are basically, they're just turning their heads and saying, oh, oh, there's an Israeli jet over there. Oh, don't tell me. Oh, there's an Israeli jet on our runway. Oh, I don't know anything about it. Basically, they're just turning their faces. But everybody knows Saudi has a lot to lose if Iran comes to power and has nukes. This week, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said, dark forces from the Middle Ages are raging against us. I have received calls from concerned officials in the Balkans and Eastern Europe who are very worried about these developments. Can you imagine the Prime Minister of Israel saying, there are dark forces at work from the Middle Ages? This is a spiritual matter, and he understands it. Here's some good news. Turkish ships among 70 vessels taking part in real peace flotilla organized by Turk. By, there's a Turkish guy who organized it. And that, that flotilla, actually, part of it or all of it, has now arrived in Israel, and they have actually um, parked their boats uh, in the marina in Ashkelon, which is just north of Gaza. I actually would like to be there to see that. That would be cool. Good news from Messianic Jews in Israel. There's a little good news. There's some good news out there. You want to hear some? We hear so much bad news. A Muslim man prayed to receive Yeshua at our Friday night meet at our Friday meeting. And this is in Israel. Forty non-believing Israelis came and heard the gospel from their very own Bible in their very own language. 
You see, the good news of Yeshua is moving. Don't think that only the darkness and the forces of evil are moving. The goodness and the light of Yeshua is moving. He is on the move, the Lion of Judah. Here's a, some, a prayer request from Israel. Please pray for Israel and stand with us during increased isolation. And I just wrote in there from Psalm 2, why do the nations make an uproar? Why do they rage? The rest of that verse says, God sits on his throne and laughs. Friends, don't become afraid. God is sitting on his throne and he notices everything. And you know his response? He laughs because they think they can overthrow him and his people. So this is a prayer request that's coming from Israel because Israelis realize now that world opinion in greater and greater measure is turning against them and they're becoming isolated. Let's read it again. First Kepha 4.9, 1 Peter 4.9. Be hospitable to one another without complaint from the NASB. Open your homes to each other without complaining. This is the uh, New Century version, I believe, NCV. Welcome one another into your homes without grumbling, Jewish New Testament. Why does everybody else use the word complaining and the Jewish New Testament uses the word grumbling? I just now noticed that. It's just a question. Well, here's my version. This is Rabbi Marty's living version. As the end of days draws near, don't be afraid to welcome each other into your homes. And with the love of Yeshua toward one another, show hospitality without grumbling or complaining. Okay, where's the food being served? <laughs> okay, Marty, I hear the message. Now just show, point me in the direction of the food. <laughs> yeah, we're not necessarily being sent out to seek the hospitality as much as to provide the hospitality. Let me share a little story about Southern hospitality before we go any further. I grew up in the South, Southern California. <laughs> so I know all about Southern hospitality. Actually, the first Southern girl I ever really met, I fell in love with, and that's my wife, Marlene. The Southern wife apologized to her unexpected guests for serving the apple pie without cheese. Now, those of you wives whose husbands uh, bring home unexpected guests, you understand this. I used to do it all the time. Well, this southern wife apologized to her unexpected guests for serving the apple pie without cheese. The little boy of the family slipped quietly away from the table for a moment and returned with a cube of cheese, which he laid on the guest's plate. The visitor smiled in recognition of the lad's thoughtfulness, popped the cheese into his mouth, and then remarked, you must have sharper eyes than your mother, Sonny. Where did you find it? The boy replied with a flush of pride, in the rap trap. <laughs> well, that's not exactly what Cape was referring to in chapter 4, verse 9, but it's close. It's not cheese from the rat trap, but it's the attitude that he represents, that that boy represents, wanting to help and serve and be hospitable to this guest, an even unexpected guest. So the end-time attribute of hospitality is really undergirded by a friendly attitude. Friends, we started this whole talk off with the whole idea of attitude. And I'm going to talk more about attitude because it's so important. 
a friendly attitude undergirds hospitality. In the Greek New Testament, not that Kepha necessarily wrote his first letter in Greek, but he may have. That's all we have, copies of Greek. But many scholars now are, are finding that Hebrew translations actually fit much of the New Testament better than Greek, than the Greek does. But hospitality in Greek is this word philozenos. Let me just share with you. It's, it means fond of guests, that is, hospitable, or given to hospitality, or a lover of hospitality, or one who uses hospitality for a purpose. I suppose there are numbers of people actually who have hospitality as a ministry and use it for the purpose of sharing Yeshua, the grace of God. Philos properly means dear, but that it means really means friend or brother. It means brotherly love or friend. And actively speaking, when you're speaking in terms of it in an active sense, it means friendly, to be friendly. Zenos means foreign. It literally means alien or stranger. Now, the context of this word or this combination of words determines the identity of either the host or the guest, and you must determine that. That's something you have to determine. <laughs> when, when Marley and I were younger, we liked to practice hospitality, and we still do. We liked to practice hospitality so much so that um, we used to get phone calls from strangers who just arrived at the bus station downtown Dallas. I don't know where they got our number, I guess the phone book, and said, can we come over and spend the night? You know, and for a very brief moment, I was torn, you know, because I wanted to show hospitality, and then I said no, and I'll tell you why later, because Marlene said no. No. (laughs) It was just the power of persuasion. Sorry, not welcome. Now, I don't consider us to have been xenophobics, but xenophobia is the opposite of hospitality because it it fears strangers and foreigners, and it fears showing hospitality to those people. Whatever the fear might be, we don't have enough food. They might kill us in the middle of the night, whatever whatever the deal is. Fear and isolationism may characterize the end of days, as I mentioned earlier. But does that mean we should become xenophobic? No. I believe that hospitality as an end-time attribute is the very weapon that God gives us as terms of an attribute or and having an attitude that actively reflects God's heart in a growing evil and darkening world. But again, I said, it all depends on the context. If some stranger calls you up from the bus station, I would say you need to use wisdom. And if wisdom's name is Marlene, fine. But I think, I I really believe that we can fight darkness and we can fight evil and we can fight this isolation uh, kind of sense of isolationism or or that we want to become isolationists. I feel, feel like we can fight it with hospitality. We've already talked about the danger of isolationism. And what is, what, what would force us into becoming an isolationist? Perhaps the fear of repercussions. Uh, listen, I, I became very afraid of repercussions when I was younger. I brought home so many strangers um, that I could see that it was really damaging Marlene's and my relationship. And friends, as much as we'd like to ho- ho- uh, show hospitality, if you're married, I would say your partner needs to be part of it. You know? Well, I'm hospitable and she's not. What can I do? You know? <laughs> 
Never be hospitable? No. We'll be hospitable 50% of the time. No, it's good to come into agreement with your partner, if you have a partner. But don't be afraid. I think this is the point I want to make. As the end times come upon us and darkness grows as it is, don't become afraid. Don't come under the operation of fear. Don't come under that persuasion of fear that characterizes darkness. The enemy loves to cause fear because fear paralyzes. If the enemy can come in and cause fear ahead of time, he may not have to raise a gun or a sword. Fear really is a strategic weapon of the enemy of our souls. And it doesn't matter who is using that weapon. It's a real weapon. We know that perfect love casts out fear. And that, and the, and the demonstration of that perfect love, the love of God, here in this case anyway, is demonstrated through hospitality. That's the active demonstration in this case of perfect love. So let's look at it again. First Kepha 5, 7 through 9 in the Jewish New Testament. Throw all your anxieties upon him because he cares about you. Now this is the next chapter, but it's in the same context. Throw all your anxieties, your fears, all the things that cause you to worry, throw it upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. Is he going to leave you? Is he going to forsake you? Well, the answer is no. The scripture is clear. God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, Yeshua said. He continues to say, stay sober, stay alert. Your enemy, the adversary, stalks about like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. But stand against him, firm in your trust, firm in your faith, knowing that your brothers throughout the world are going through the same kinds of suffering. Friends, this is not the time to practice isolationism. This is the time to understand our brothers are suffering the same things. In fact, we are the least of the people suffering right now. But we are to take our stand against him. Take our stand against his tactics, one of which is fear. Fear. Stay sober. Stay alert, friends. Put our fears, our anxieties. Let's do that. Let's put our fears and our anxieties upon him. They don't do us any good. There is some level of fear that's good. Well, I'm afraid of getting hit by a truck if I cross Beltline without looking both ways. That's a good fear. But let's not be afraid of the enemy's darkness. Hospitality begins in the Torah. That's the foundation of Kepha's lesson here. He writes in Leviticus chapter 19, If a foreigner stays with you in your land, do not do him wrong. Rather, treat the foreigner, the stranger, if you will, the alien. Rather, treat the foreigner staying with you like the native-born among you. You are to love him as yourself, for you are foreigners in the land of Egypt. I am Adonai your God. Now, in this context, where he says, treat the foreigner like you would treat your own brother, brothers in the land, the context is, here is a stranger who comes to stay among you, to live among you in peace. He's a contributor to your family. He's a contributor to your society. He comes and lives in peace and is not out to get you, kill you, or destroy you. And that's the key. The Hebrew word here indicates someone who's come to be near you. And sometimes, not only to be near you, but to be like you. And that is oftentimes why someone wants to be near you. Because they want to be like you. If someone only comes near you to mooch off of you, 
or to destroy you, then you need to be aware and use discernment. Here's the greatest Jewish example that we have of hospitality. In Messianic Jews, Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 9, we read this. By trusting he, that is Abraham, he lived as a temporary resident, a stranger, a foreigner, in the land of the promise, as if it were not his, staying in tents with Isaac and Jacob, Yitzchak and Yaakov, who were to receive what was promised along with him. So here's a man of faith, a man of God. And this is extremely important for us to understand. Here's a man of faith, a man of God, in fact, the one by whom we are called faithful, if we are faithful as Abraham. Abraham lived in a land that God promised to him, promised to Isaac, promised to Jacob, promised to all the sons of Jacob and their descendants. And yet Abraham didn't grab the land and consider that it was his. He is called a stranger, a foreigner, and he even calls himself that when Sarah dies and he's looking for a burial place for her. He says, I'm a stranger among you in your land, but I'll buy a piece of property from you. He was a temporary resident. Of course, in this sense, speaking spiritually, the world was not his final resting place. God was going to, he was looking for a place that was built by God. But as a temporary resident, as an alien, as a stranger, he lived there, he was productive, he was friendly and supportive of the society around him. But he was a stranger, a stranger in his own land, the land that God promised to him. Why is this so important? Friends, we're strangers, we're aliens in this world in a way, waiting for our heavenly home, waiting for the home that God promised, waiting for the promises of God. And yet, some people act as if we already own the place. Friends, it has to do with attitude. If we act as if we own the place, then we walk in pride. But if we realize we're strangers and we're waiting for a place that's God-given in His time, then we'll walk in humility. Same land, same people, different attitude. So here he is, Abraham, a stranger in the land of promise that God promised him, humble but faithful, setting the Jewish standard. Though Abraham was a stranger in the land of promise, he set the standard for hospitality in Genesis 18. You remember the story. The Torah portion is Vayera, and he appeared, the Lord appeared. But actually, it was just three men who appeared. Three men appeared. Abraham saw them from a distance walking up the road. And get this, day before yesterday, he, he was 100 years old and 99 years old and circum, just circumcised. So what does a 99-year-old feel like when he was just circumcised day before yesterday? You women don't understand this at all. <laughs> Actually, I don't either. I was only eight days old, 99 years old. And he sees strangers walking down the street, coming up the road, and he gets up and he literally runs, the Scripture says. He runs to greet them. And he begs them to stay and be refreshed by his hospitality. If it was me, I have to confess. If I was 99 and I had just had major surgery <laughs> without anesthetics and I saw somebody walking up the road, I would go inside. <laughs> you know what? It's getting hot out here. I need some air conditioning. <laughs> But Abraham sets the example. He gets up, runs to them, and begs them to stay. Now, how do we apply what Abraham did? The Scripture applies it. In Messianic Jews, 
Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. We read this. Let brotherly friendship continue, but don't forget to show hospitality, to be friendly to outsiders. So here you go, here you are with both hospitality to those inside and hospitalities to those outside. For in so doing, some people, namely Abraham, without knowing it, have entertained angels. So do we need to show hospitality to every stranger that comes our way? Again, friends, I say, use wisdom and discernment. My answer is no. You don't need to show hospitality to every stranger. Because once you do that, every stranger will be at your door. The word does get around. Here at Brook Hashem, we still are, but we used to be extremely generous for anybody who came to the, with anyone who came to the door, just off the street. You know, somebody, somebody would stop and give us a story. It usually took them about 15 or 20 minutes to tell us their story. And then we'd say, oh, well, you know, here's some money, you know. Well, we couldn't figure out why more and more people were coming to our door. And then we finally figured it out. There is a, um, there is a grapevine for strangers. There is. I'm just telling you the truth. There's a grapevine. And when, when, when they hit their next stop and they find some other people who are on the road and they say, have you found any good places? Oh yeah, there's this place. I can't pronounce the name, but it's right in the corner. Lo and behold, the next day we found somebody whose car ran out of gas and he was on his way to help his sister who was really sick. And the day after that, another story. And then we finally figure it out. So friends, use wisdom and discernment. There are some strangers you're supposed to entertain, and some you're not. But what's a stranger mean in the context here of First Kepha? First of all, he says, show hospitality to one another. And he's speaking to the believers. So that's the first order of things. If we're not showing hospitality to one another, what business do we have even extending hospitality to people outside the family? In the third letter of Yochanan of John, In chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, we read this. Dear friend, you are faithful in all the work you are doing for the brothers. Even when they are strangers to you, they have testified to your love in front of the congregation. So here's an example of Yochanan writing and saying, you have brothers who are strangers to you only because they haven't been among you. You don't know them. A stranger could mean this, someone who doesn't live with you. How about that? How about if I invite some of you over to my house who've never been there before? You're going to be strangers in my home, even though you're my brothers and sisters in Yeshua. He goes on to say, you will be doing well if you send them on their way. Whew! Gives us an out. You don't just invite people to stay. You will do well by sending them on their way in a manner manner worthy of God since it was for the sake of Hashem that they went out without accepting anything from the Goyim, from the, from, the, from the Gentiles. Apparently, these brothers and sisters traveling around were traveling with the good news of Yeshua, and they would come into a town, and they would find the believers, and they would say, can we stay with you? We're some of the brethren. And the brethren would open up their doors, and they'd say, come in. Let us help you. Let us Fulfill your needs, and then we'll send you on your way refreshed as you carry the work, the word of Yeshua and do the work of God, the good news. So back in Kepha, 1 Peter 4, verse 9, in the Jewish New Testament again, welcome one another into your homes without grumbling. Okay, we kind of covered welcoming. We haven't touched much on the grumbling part yet. 
Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling from the NIV. Well, here there's particular emphasis on one another, offering hospitality to one another, but without grumbling, without grumbling. So friends, look, if you're married, if you have a mate or you have a roommate and you're not married, like my son does, he has his own house, he's not married yet, but he has a, he, somebody who lives with him who he rents his room to. Now, if his friend, who happens to be Mark Travis, brings home a bunch of people and wants to have a party, Ari has the right to grumble. He's not Mark's mate, but they do live together and they need to respect one another. But I'll tell you, Ari is not going to, I know Ari, he's not going to grumble in front of all the people. If he grumbles, it might be later. But it's an attitude, friends. If your mate brings home someone, let's use a little more at home, husband and wife. If a mate brings someone home, like I used to do all the time, without any warning, and I used to show up with three or four people when I was in Bible college. Hi, honey. Uh, I have three people with me. Is dinner ready? <laughs> Marlene would always be cheerful, but she would share her heart with me afterwards. <laughs> the Greek word that is used here for grumbling is goguzo. I laughed so hard one time when I heard one person who was teaching use this word, goguzo, and he would say, it even sounds like grumbling. Goguzo, goguzo, goguzo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you brought them over again? Goguzo, goguzo, goguzo. <laughs> they didn't bring the dish I asked them to bring. Goguzo, goguzo, goguzo. <laughs> Can you believe it? They didn't take their shoes off and track the mud into the house. Goguzo, goguzo. <laughs> Friends, hosting people while complaining just completely nullifies the welcome and y'all come. It does. It takes all the fun out of the welcome. It takes all the joy out of the welcome. It takes all the invite out of the welcome after you've said, y'all come. It means to grumble or complain. You got that. This particular thing was a really a grievous sin before the Lord. Israel practiced this all the time in the wilderness. God would provide miracle after miracle, and Israel would complain and grumble against the Lord. God got so fed up with it. He was he, he brought plagues on Israel. He was ready to destroy the people. And Moses and Aaron always were intervening. If you're going to do something, if you're going to invite someone, do it with joy and with cheer. It's just the way it is. And we're talking about a moment in the history that we live in right now, I believe, prior to the Messiah's coming. The Talmud speaks a lot about this in just very, very summary fashion. The Talmud describes this period immediately prior to the advent of the Mashiach as one of great travail and turmoil. There will be a world recession and governments will be controlled by despots. It is in this troubled setting that Mashiach will come. It's not my summary. This is just a summary I took from the Talmud. But Yeshua also speaks about the end in numerous places, but one of my favorite is Matthew 24 and 25. There's so much there. Can't go over that whole thing. But in Matthew 24 and 25, you find an end-time description that Yeshua gives. And he does it in response to the question of his Tamidim when they said they came to him and said, when are you coming and what is the sign of the end? What's the sign of the end, rather, and when are you coming? In other words, if you're thinking Jewishly, what, when, is, when is the judgment day coming? 
the sign of the end. The end is the judgment, friends. Interestingly, the judgment of the nations in chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, will be based on hospitality. Isn't that interesting? So many people preach so many different things about this passage. You know, about the separating the sheep and the sheep and the goats when he's judging the nations. And he says he's judging the nations. This is not the people of Israel. He's judging the nations. But it's about hospitality. And I'm wondering, as I'm reading the passage, is this hospitality based on hospitality toward Israel? Is this the attitude and what was demonstrated by the nations towards Israel? Here's what it says. When did we welcome you as a stranger, speaking to the king, or give you clothes to wear, or visit you while you were sick or in jail? And the king will answer, whenever you did it for any of my people, no matter how unimportant they seemed, you did it for me. The contemporary English version. Possibly speaking about his brethren. In fact, I believe he's speaking about his I'll just be blunt. I believe Yeshua is speaking about his Jewish brethren to the nations during the time of judgment. So showing end-time hospitality, this is what it means. End-time hospitality exercised with wisdom will reflect the active heart of God. The active heart. You want to be hospitable in your attitude? Great. But if you want to be active to show hospitality, then you've got to show it. You've got to open your door. You've got to do it. God's heart is active when he invites us. He wants us. He, he goes to great lengths to get us to come and stay with him. End-time hospitality creates a sense of family during a time of isolationism and during a time of great need. In other words, we're not alone. When we exercise hospitality, we express to other people, you're not alone, and they express to us, we're not alone. Listen, Yeshua cooked. He cooked a bunch of fi- a mess of fish, as we say in Texas. He cooked a mess of fish. And he called his Talmudim as they were out trying to fish. He says, come on in. Come and eat with me. It's one of the last things he did before he ascended into heaven. He showed hospitality. He cooked for his Talmudim. And he fed them. He invited them and fed them and showed them hospitality. When Yeshua returns and when we are invited to the great wedding feast of the Lamb, what do you think he will show us? Go goodzo, go goodzo. No. No, this wedding feast is going to be all out, friends. This is going to be a great party. This is going to be a great time of rejoicing. This is going to be the greatest show of hospitality that any of us has ever experienced. It's going to be awesome. If this is what we have to look forward to, let's start putting it into practice now. That's what Kepha is talking about. When the end of all things comes, is at hand. He says, be hospitable. Be hospitable. It's so important. Adonai, we thank you for your loving kindness and your mercy. We thank you for your hospitality. We bless you. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to become people known by our hospitality. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. You're listening to Solace Radio, Monta Vista, Colorado.
If you like the programming you hear on Solace Radio, please become a partner with us and donate any amount you'd like. You can go to solaceradio.com to do that, and we'd sure appreciate it. And it helps us to reach more and more people around the world with this great message of hope. Thank you for listening to Solace Radio. Now, back to our program. 